Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books. I'm your host, Bernadette Walsh. And before we get into our um, interview with our guest today, it's just a couple of things I'd like to update people on. I am starting a new program that um, I'll run a couple of times a year called the Romance Roundtable. And that's a show where I have two to three guests who are experts in a particular area of romance or a particular genre. So next week is my first Romance Roundtable, and the topic is going to be seasoned romance. And for those of you who don't, are not familiar with that term, seasoned romance is where your hero or heroine or both of them are 35 and over. So I am really, really excited about my first uh, romance roundtable. So I hope that people will, will check in and listen to it. Uh, my three guests are Karen Booth, Jennifer Bacall, and Jeannie Moon. So really three fantastic and very successful writers who know a lot about season romance. So please check that out. And again, it's going to be next Saturday and it will, it will be listed on my website and also on the blog talk radio site. Also wanted to update people about my releases this week. I released the reluctant witch, which is a two book um, combination of two of my novellas, my novella see me, which was released last summer and then follow me, which I just released. So you can buy the novellas either one at a time or together in one collection, The Reluctant Witch. So information about The Reluctant Witch is on my website. Again, my website is BernadetteWalsh.com. So today I'm so pleased to introduce my guest, Stella McLean. Stella writes about compassionate women and compelling stories. Stella writes contemporary romance and romantic suspense. Her titles include Finding Mr. Valentine, and the Back from the Edge series. So welcome, Stella, to Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books. How are you? I'm great, and it's great to be here. Thank you so much for interviewing me. Oh, well, I'm so pleased that you could join me. So, Stella, why don't we start with your writing journey? How long have you been writing professionally? Whoa, I started in 1995, and I was a nurse originally, and um, I just kept writing. And 11 manuscripts later, I finally got published in 2008. It was a long journey, but uh, well worth it. I really enjoy writing. I spend a lot of hours at it. And so did you stop becoming a nurse, or did you, was there a time when you wrote along with, with your daytime job? Uh, no, I had had a health incident, so I couldn't um, work any longer. I had um, surgery, so I f- had to find a new career, and I always wanted to write. It was something that was just on my mind, so I thought, why not give it a try? See what happens. You've got nothing to lose, so um, go for it. So I did. And were you always a romance reader? Why were you attracted to romance? Um, well, I love Gone with the Wind, uh, one of my favorite books, and I just uh, wanted to write stories that were upbeat and had some relational uh, parts to it and uh, not be too gruesome, and romance sort of fit that um, 
situation. So I really, really, uh, I like writing those types of stories. And so you you took some time before you reached your goal of publication. So are you published with a publisher, or are you indie published, or are you a combination of both? I'm a combination. I did um, nine books with Harlequin Super Romance out of Toronto, and then I have done six books on my own, one of which is a book on chronic pain. So the other five are romances or romantic uh, suspense. And so tell us a little bit about the heat level of your books. Are they hot? Are they close the door? Um, No, they're not. Well, it depends. Sorry. Uh, In super romance, you were allowed to write whatever level of heat. So some of my books are close the door, but the ones that I have gone on with on my own, only one of them I think you would consider uh, sort of a close-the-door type of story. Most of it is the interaction and the attraction between the two people and a hint of what did go on. Um, I, I prefer it that way because I think that uh, people don't need to see the actual sex scene to understand the depths of the attraction and love. And it also has to be what you're comfortable writing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't exactly. force it. So I, yeah. you know, I, I, my books kind of run the gamut a little bit. Um, some, yeah. Sometimes the, the story really calls for something more explicit. And, but for a lot of my books, and, and I write a lot of women's fiction slash contemporary romance, so women's fiction with some romantic elements. And so for those books, typically, I don't have a lot of heavier sex scenes. Um, for one of my paranormal romance, uh, titles The Devil and Witch there were some sex scenes that were quite hot but the story kind of called for it so it has to be what you're comfortable writing and what what's deemed to want so you know and there's certainly yeah. in the market for people who don't want the more explicit stuff so it sounds like that's where you're headed maybe you could talk a little bit about how you transitioned into uh, romantic suspense and what's the, the differences in, in writing romantic suspense versus the more traditional contemporary romance? Uh, I got into romantic suspense because I like reading suspense. And um, as to writing it, it's really a little more complicated. You know, in a romance, you have to put together sort of your plot line of your story and the romantic uh, changes that occur during the story that bring the two people together. The romantic suspense simply means you've got to gauge how much of the suspense and how much of the romance so that one doesn't overpower the other. And uh, it sort of adds another uh, ball in the air, if you will, to try and manage uh, to keep that balance going because the person who's reading your romantic suspense is the same person who reads your romance. So they're looking for the romance as well as the suspense. It's quite a balance. it, um, It takes quite a bit of effort um, it's it's actually for me it's more difficult in a way than just writing the straight contemporary romance because it has to fe- feel natural, right? You can't have someone you know running from the, the the villain and all of a sudden they look at each other and kiss, right? Or you know what I mean? Like it has exactly. to weave in. I would say it would be yeah. quite difficult. Yeah, you do have to weave in, and you have to pick the points in the story where you can weave it in. It can't feel unnatural. As you say, they can't be running away from danger and suddenly in an embrace. (laughs) 
you, you kind of have to judge when the things will happen on both sides of the plot. So, uh, but it, it's fun. I enjoy it. So now, your books, in terms of the structure of books, do you typically write from the first person, the third person? Have you you know mixed it up a little bit with your titles? Uh, I normally write from the third person because that's what super romance. Um, was basically um, uh, balanced for. But I tried a book of my own um, in which I made the um, main character, the, the whole book was in first person, and it was called Unimaginable. And I loved writing the first person. And I see in your interview, uh, you talk about how much more intimate and close it is to write in first person. And it's true. It really makes you feel like you're right there with the character. Um, and I also find that sometimes if I'm stuck on a book and a character in the third person, I'll go back and convert it to the first person, and I get a much stronger sense of the character than I had when I was trying to stay in the third person. It has its limitations because you can only do one point of view, but um, it, it's, it's much more intimate. And it was very interesting to try to write a suspense from just one point of view, um, especially when it's romance on top of that. So, yeah. Oh, it's just different. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely, I mean, you have to find your writing groove. I would say, especially when I first started writing, which is about uh, 11 years ago, I was told, you know, you really should try and write in the third person. That's what publishers are looking for. And I tried. I, you know, I said, okay, that's what I'll do. And it was so stiff and it just was not me. And so it's like everything else, you have to find your rhythm. And I think because I am a lawyer, you know, during the day, third person was too much like my day job and it was very stiff. And so the only way I could kind of get out of my head in effect and get out of my own way was to go through the first person, but you're right. You are limited. And I would think in romantic suspense, perhaps that is difficult the way I've kind of dealt with what I think is interesting in the first person is you're right. You're in somebody else's head, but I sometimes for a lot of my books, I'll have two characters. So it's from two different points of view. And in that sense, you're in someone else's head, but you can, I like to to have a way to like key to the, to the reader that this character like is, is really seeing it from their point of view, but it's wrong or it's, you know what I mean? It's skewed in a way. And so um, in my book, John, this I think was really apparent in Johnny be good, which is a recent book that I released again, women's fiction. And it was, ta- it was two alternating views, the mother who had an alcohol problem and her daughter. And so it was very interesting in the mother's point of view, she was mother of the year. And from the daughter's point of view, you saw how she wasn't quite there. So there's ways to get, you know, get out of that character's head. But, um, you know, again, you have to find, find your rhythm. And I think, you know, since I started writing, I think first person has, has become a little bit more popular and is a little bit more accepted. So, which I think yeah. is a good thing for me. And it can be more emotional. You get mm-hmm. a more depth of emotion in the first person, I think, than you do in the third. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, so you're mixing it up. Now, what difference have you seen in terms of your promotional efforts for your indie titles versus, versus your titles that are with Harlequin? 
Oh, it's huge because Harlequin is is basically a well-oiled machine. They know exactly what they're doing on the marketing side, and they have a huge brand. So when you go indie from Harlequin, yes, you get some um, sort of move over in that people recognize your name, uh, but all the advertising, all the promotion goes to you from doing the cover to doing the promotional um, ads to doing anything. It all has to come from you unless you're in the position of being able to pay for somebody to do all that, which most of us aren't. But it's you do the whole thing when you indie publish as opposed to with Harlequin, I basically finished the manuscript, they edited it, and it went to them, and after I f- uh, fixed the edits that they wanted fixed, and they did it all. I, I didn't see the book again until they sent me uh, copies. So it's a whole different process. I mean, it's a, it was much easier, let's put it that way, than mm-hmm. indie publishing because, you know, you are a publisher when you indie publish. You have to think of everything, uh, how the book looks, what the content is like inside, how it's laid out, what the cover is going to say, and uh, that's a whole skill set in itself. Um, Even with a cover artist, you still have to decide if that represents the brand you're trying to promote. And I'm still on a learning curve around that. I have changed the covers of several of my books, trying to find who I am as an indie author. It's just a whole learning curve. Fun, but takes a lot of time. And sometimes it can cost you money, too, because when I first, I was originally published with Lyrical Press, and that was then taken over by Kensington, and I wound up taking my my, um, titles back because it was during the whole indie wave, and I was like, oh, you know, I can do this better. And maybe it was a mistake. Maybe I should have just left them there. But when I brought them back, I didn't. I was never really in love with my covers, so I redid my covers, and then I started writing some other books. And Mike, I discovered a few years ago, my covers were kind of a hodgepodge, right? They were whatever I liked at the time. And so then I worked actually with somebody um, that I'd worked with in lyrical, and she helped me redo my covers, make them all uh, for most of them, make them all look consistent, even in terms of typeface. And where the, the my the, the title occurred and, and I have like this bar across it. Again, trying to make things look and feel the same, even though I write across different genres. But I think that really helped and, and I had the, the the freedom to do that because the only person I had to please really was myself. And then over time <laughs> I also reacted to to readers reviews and I got one review on the Devlin Witch, which I tried to make it, you know, because, again, there's some sexy parts to it. So my original cover was quite sexy. You know, it was a, a couple in an, embrace, in an embrace. And one of the reviews said, you know what, this is really, I was reading this expecting a really hot, sexy, you know, romance with demons. She goes, but it's really not that. It's really a women's fiction. It's really about the women's relationship with each other, you know, the mother-daughter relationship. So I love the book, but it just, and as she said, it's just like the cover just didn't reflect the book to me. And I thought about it and I was like, you know what? That title really is women's fiction with witches, right? It really is more like my others. So again, I redid the title. Yeah. I was like, what's the most important relationship in that book? I was like, it's the mother daughter relationship and the, and the, and the hunger for children and connection. So I changed the cover right. 
from a sexy embrace to a mother and a child. And again, had more consistent typeface. So the only, my purpose in saying that is you can learn as you go. Unfortunately, you know, you have to keep paying for covers as you make, you know, deciding changing your mind on the cover is somewhat expensive, but you can do it if you want. Yes. I am doing a new series right now that's called Trust Your Heart. And I did exactly the same thing. I wanted a locket and I wanted to, it's a three book series covering a woman's life. And it's it's something new for me. I've never tried this. And I got the cover designed, and then I realized that's the wrong design because it has to be much cleaner and unencumbered by other people and other things on the cover because I want people to instantly recognize that cover as being part of that series. And so I've got to go back to the drawing board here and start over with my cover designer to see what we can come up with that is uh, a brand, basically, for this series. And that's a whole new thing for me. Usually I just do the cover based on the one book. Um, mm-hmm. So it's all a learning curve. It's all, But it's fun. It's, it brings out a different creative side, don't you find? Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And even how you think about covers, like, and how you think about how your writing has evolved. Because I was yes. doing um, a, a promotion during the summer, and I realized that three books that were, were were standalone books, although there was some overlap in some of the characters, they really were very connected, as opposed to some of my other titles. So I actually worked with a cover artist, or you know, somebody who did a, a, an ad for me, and I called them the North Shore Stories, and really. So I'm trying to treat them as a bundle because there are some, um, in terms of even location, it's located on the North Shore of Long Island, and there are a lot of, you know, similarities there. So I wouldn't have necessarily thought of them as a, quote, series, but I bundled them together because I think if you liked one, you'll like the other. So, you know, again, would a publisher let you do that for books that were written over several periods of time? You know, maybe not, but I think it works for me. Yes, I think too. It's it's the feeling of the book. It's a, as you say. It's it's what's in the book that makes another type of series. Uh, if it's about the growth of the individual through a period of time in their life, uh, not just the few weeks or months of a relationship beginning, but how their life evolved over time and the things that impacted them, I think that's a whole different um, angle on the series idea that you can have a story and the feel of that story, maybe it's not just the place and location, but it's what those people experienced that ties them together. I, I think it's um, that's the other thing about indie publishing. As you say, we can decide what really is going to make up a series for us. It doesn't have to be the standard uh, same place, same group of characters sort of thing. Yeah. So that's the, that's the beauty of self-publishing, and, and I think you hit a lot of the, the pitfalls or, or the challenges, rather, that it's all on you. And, and, you know, it sounds – and you have to know what you can do and what you need help with. So, you know, I have a cover artist. I would never in a million years even attempt to do a cover, although I design it. Like, I pick out the image, and I work with her in terms of, like you said, how my covers evolve. But that's just not yes. my bailiwick, so I'll pay for that. But um, now, yes. what, what do you outsource? What do you outsource? Like, so you get somebody else to do your covers. What else do, do you have help with an editor, or you know, do you have oh, anyone yes. helping you with promotion? I have, um, yes, I have a lot of editorial help. 
I believe in very good editing because that makes the story stand out. Um, I've read books online, uh, pu- self-published books, and that's what distracted me was the um, lack of, of clear editing, uh, clear editing approach, actually. So I'm very keen on editing and covers, and when I go to promote my books now, I have a, an ad designer who helps me put together the ads for uh, Facebook, for uh, Amazon, because, again, it's not my area of expertise. Yes, I like to have the final say, but uh, there's just a whole skill set that I don't have. And I, I respect these people who know how to do these things, and I'm willing to pay them to do it simply because I want to turn out the best possible book I can. And that's smart. That's smart. It's, it's, it's good to know what you can do and what you can't do. I do a lot yeah, of my exactly. editing myself because that kind of links in with my day job. Um, but I probably could use an extra set of eyes on it. So I think for maybe <laughs> my next book, I'll probably see who can go. I don't need help in terms of developmental edits, but sometimes um, just another set of eyes is helpful. And I also belong to a writer's group and we have a critique session. Actually, we're having a critique session tomorrow via Zoom, which I thought would be really awkward, but it's it's actually, you know, now that we're all in quarantine, it's actually something I look forward to and it worked out really, really well. And so they sometimes, again, it's helpful to have writers who also write different genres see something about your book that you didn't see. And so, you know, from my latest book, The Reluctant Witch, um, they gave me, such good insight into the relationship between my hero and heroine. And I was able to kind of strengthen that. So, you know, I, I, I think you, you have to get help where you can. Now, do you belong to a writer's group or do you, do you have any writing partners that you work with? Um, I used to be part of a, a writer's group, a critique group years ago. I then converted over to having a beta reader because uh, I found that I needed somebody that, I could have the, the one-on-one discussion about uh, the book as opposed to getting four or five people's opinions. Um, mm-hmm. I just found it easier, I guess, to, to do it that way. But I also rely heavily on my editor, who is also an author. So she will watch my books for things that, that I wouldn't see. Uh, for instance, in Finding Mr. Valentine, Cookie Carmichael, which is the main character, I had her sort of too over the top in parts of the book, and I didn't realize because I was so enthusiastic about who she was and what she was and what she could become that I didn't realize that she was sort of dominating some scenes that were actually in the other character's point of view. So she was very helpful in sort of saying, okay, you've got to dial that back, Ruth. You can't leave that as it is. You've got to, you've got to keep going and make it um, much more even in the scene. So it seems like that because she is a writer and she recognizes these sort of pitfalls that we can get into. That's right, because sometimes you're so close to the character, you know, especially the first draft exactly. or two. Um, it's hard mm-hmm. to kind of see it with cool eyes. So that's why a lot of times they suggest that you take a book and, and put it aside for even a month until you, and read it with fresh eyes again. Now I have never been able to do that, <laughs> but that's what it is they say you should do. <laughs> yes. Well, now I have gotten the rights back to some of my books from Harlequin. Uh, 
And it's fascinating to go back and look at what you originally wrote and how much your writing has changed and how differently you view uh, the characters. Uh, When I got my first book back, which was Heart of My Heart, I had originally designed that to be um, a three-book series, but the requirements of the super romance that I was writing said it had to be one book. And so uh, I'm getting a chance to take that back and redo it the way I would have liked to have done it. But when I look at those characters, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I uh, I can do so much better now. <laughs> you know, I, I have more skills, I guess, more um, sort of writing acumen than I had when I started out. When you consider that that was my 11th book, <laughs> just imagine what the early ones would have been like. Right. But it also, each book, it's interesting that you say that because I think each book reflects who you were at that point of, in time. And even the yes. topics that you pick, you know, I, I, you just were in a different mindset 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago. You know what I mean? So I think, I don't know, I'm always quite... Uh, you have to be gentle with yourself, with your earlier yes. writing self, you know, because that's where yes. you were at the time. And so even my first book, which was called Gold Coast Wives, it was a very light, airy, contemporary romance, because that's what type of writer I thought I would be. You know, I like to write, I like to read the chiclet. I like to read the light contemporary romance. And so I was like, oh, that's who I am. And yes. that book, is what it is. It's not the direct. And, and I, I still actually, I went back and read it. I hadn't read it in a long time. And I, because somebody was telling me they really enjoyed it. So I was like, Oh, they were talking about parts of it. And you know, I, that's like 10 books ago. So I was like, I read it again. And it was fun to kind of revisit the Bernadette from 10 years ago. And you have to accept it for what it is. I, my writing went in a different direction. Um, you know, and, and, and that's it. But it's, it's, I kind of enjoy, I like that each one of my books reflects my mindset at the time that it was written. So, you know, yes, but yes. I agree. Like, I and think if you go back and reissue, I'm sure even technically, yes, you probably are so much better than you were in 1995. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yes, but I, I yes. wouldn't want to, like, I guess what I'm just saying is you don't want to lose the magic of, of your viewpoints. You don't want to totally, um, redo everything, right? You want to keep whatever no. inspired spark was there at the time. Yes. Yes. And uh, it's the the good parts of the early books were um, this is exciting, this is fun. Uh, I'm learning all the time, which I still am, but in the early days it was like discovering this beautiful golden globe of, oh, I can do this. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest rewards when you start out is that you recognize, hey, I can write. And uh, we all tend to think, oh, well, I'm not really a writer. But once a book is published, then that is proof positive that you can write. Somebody said that book is publishable. And I think that was the biggest um, lift, I guess, that I experienced when I was first published was that, hey, it's got to be that it's got to be good because they want it. And uh, it was just a very uh, great experience. 
Well, it's the confidence thing too, right? No one thinks, yeah, exactly. you know, am I a yeah. real writer? I mean, I still, you know, when people ask me what I do, the first thing I, is I say, well, I'm a lawyer and I'm a mom. And yeah. then people are like, oh, don't you write? I was like, oh yeah, I do write. <laughs> I've written 10 books. And it also, if you think about it, like, I don't know, you probably heard the, the very, you know, the statistic that's always thrown out there, but like 90% of the world wants to write a book and only, you know, 2% of them actually do. So we're, and I don't know if those percentages are right, but a very, very small percentage produces even one book and you and I have produced multiple books. And so, you know, yeah. that means I think we can legitimately say that we're writers. So. Yeah. And it's, it's just a nice uh, feeling. Like I work full time at my writing. That's how I describe my life is that I work full time at it. And Therefore, I am a writer. And sometimes you kind of lose that until somebody brings it up to you and says, oh, you write. And when before I got published, I sort of was, oh, yeah, yeah, I write. But now I can say, yes, I am a writer, and I have published 16 books. Um, so you kind of get that feeling that, yeah, I'm, I've made it. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a huge accomplishment. I mean, think about it. You're you're creating something out of nothing, and that is something that most people in their day-to-day jobs don't do, and you create something that is very uniquely yours. You know what I mean? And so many of us, like in my day yeah. job, I'm a little bit of a widget, right? I, anyone could step into my shoes for the most part and do what I do, but no one can step yeah. into my shoes and tell my story. You know, I'm the only one who no. can do that. So, so that's yeah. cool. That's great. Now, maybe you yeah. could tell us a little bit about, I know you said um, you had a recent release, Finding Mr. Valentine. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that book and, you know, um, where it sits in terms of series and, um, and anything else you want to tell about that book. Okay. Well, it's book three in my Liberated Ladies series. And this is a series of contemporary romances. And they're basically about women who have found themselves in ordinary circumstances, but they have to take some form of major action in their life. In other words, something has happened to them that they they are the only ones who can fix it. And in Finding Mr. Valentine, uh, Cookie Carmichael is married. And to the world, she's happily married. But in her private world, she's not. She knows her husband is running around on her. So her breakout moment is when she finally says enough and throws all his clothes and belongings out the upper upstairs window from the house. And that starts her new life. And her new life is she's a real good chef. She just never had the chance to use the skills because she was a stay-at-home mom and not just a stay-at-home mom, but a husband who thought she should stay at home and a family who thought she should stay at home. So she gave in to that pressure, but no more. And it's that story of how she finds the love of her life when she lets go of her past and is willing to stand up for who she really is. And um, it's just her time to take back her life, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. I loved writing it. This was a book that I'd planned to write probably five years ago and finally said, I'm going to do it, sort of like Cookie, I'm going to do it. Uh, so I really I really enjoyed writing it. And uh, these finding books, as I say, are just stories about women discovering that they got to take control of their life. 
And the next one is going to be Finding Mr. Christmas, and this is a librarian uh, who has lived a very sheltered sort of librarian life until she goes to a wedding at an inn in Vermont and uh, finds somebody she never thought she'd find. And uh, the story goes from there. And now, what are the them. ages of your heroines? Uh, usually, the ages of my heroines are 22 to 28, 30, somewhere in there. I don't specify the age. I mostly specify the time. Uh, but I am working on, <laughs> funny you should mention about your round table. I'm working on what I call the secret lives of seniors. And it's a group of stories about um, relationships after 50. And um, the one I'm working on right now is, is really kind of fun. So that's, I don't know about you, but I find that I always have ideas percolating in my head. I keep a notebook. I write the idea down because somewhere along the way I'm either going to use it in a book I'm working on or I'm going to start a new book or even a series of books based on that idea. And uh, The Secret Lives of Seniors is one of those. Um, it's just things that come up. And I think, oh, yeah, that would work. I just got to find the book to put it in. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, you'll have to tune in next week to our, our romance roundtable. So, yes, it sounds really yeah. great. So, so maybe you could tell, because um, we're running a little bit out of time, maybe you could tell people where they can find you online and what else you have in the hopper. Okay, online, I'm, my website is com, and my Twitter is at Stella, lowercase um, slash, uh, underscore, sorry, McLean. And Facebook, it's Stella McLean Romance Author or Stella.McLean.3. And all that can be found on my website, along with my experiences of working at Vancouver Public Library in 2018, which was fantastic. What a great library, and I love libraries, so... Well, that's great. Well, Stella, thank you so much for joining. This has been really great to hear your your uh, writing journey from from Harlequin romance writer to indie published to beyond. So, um, so again, thank you so much for spending the time with me this afternoon. And uh, please keep us updated on your um, next releases because I like to um, include those updates on the Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books Facebook fan page. So if you haven't liked that yet, please like it. Um, but again, okay. Stella, thank you so much for joining. And then just to remind everyone, um, again, as I said earlier in the, in the podcast, we are doing our first romance roundtable. And the first romance roundtable will be seasoned romance. And I'm so pleased to have three really fantastic guests. I have Karen Booth, who is the co-founder of the Facebook group Seasoned Romance, which is devoted to the promotion of romance with characters 35 and up. Um, also, Jennifer Bacall, who has received many, many um, awards, and she writes Smart, Sexy Romance for Smart, Sexy Women. And also, uh, Jeannie Moon, who is a fellow Long Island native, and she's a USA Today bestselling author of over 16 contemporary romances. So I think we're going to have a really nice, varied um, panel to talk about seasoned romance. And I am hoping, if that is a success, to um, to have future topic romances uh, as romance roundtables as well, covering other topics. So please um, keep keep that in mind. Again, uh, the, it's next week, and all the information on all my 
podcast is on my web, website, BernadetteWalsh.com, and also on the Blog Talk Radio site. Um, again, wanted to re- remind people of my latest release, The Reluctant Witch, is out and available and only three ninety nine. And also my contemporary women's uh, title that I talked about earlier in the podcast, Johnny Be Good, is also available on Amazon only for now. I will probably go wide in a couple of weeks. So again, thank you so much for spending this time with me. This is Bernadette Walsh of Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.